Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash Great Detectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show by mail by sending a donation to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913, P.O. Box 15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. You can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month by just going to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Now it's time to revisit a series we did a couple years back. Indictment was a 1956 to 1959 radio series that focused on criminal investigations by the assistant district attorney, who was played by Nat Bullen. Like so many of these crime series uh, that originated from New York in the mid to late 1950s, there are relatively few episodes of indictment in circulation, given that they recorded around 150 episodes. This is technically the third time we revisited the series, though both of the first two times we played it were in... Season 12. We played the only four episodes that I knew were in circulation, and then shortly after that, a new episode came to light, and I was doing some research and discovered that a couple of episodes of Indictment were adapted as suspense episodes. So, after playing Under Arrest, we actually went right back to Indictment for another three weeks. So it's been considerably longer this time. And I think these are probably the earliest episodes we have of the series as of right now. Although dating episodes with this series can be a bit of a challenge. All that said, let's go ahead and take a listen to this week's episode of Indictment. The original air date, March 24th, 1957, and the title is Bitter Grapes. Indictment, a formal written charge of crime, as the basis for trial of the accused. If the balance scales of justice are to remain righted, there must be trials, there must be convictions. The vital step which leads inexorably to these is the accusation of guilt by the grand jury, the indictment. Indictment. The story you're about to hear is from New York City and is based on stories of the criminal law with authentic procedures as detailed by Eliezer Lipsky, former assistant district attorney of New York. It is the assistant district attorney who directs criminal investigations, assembles facts and witnesses, builds the case to a just indictment. Oh, excuse me, I'd like to visit Mrs. Lalabasa. Private room? Yes, ma'am, believe so. Oh, yes, the girl who's married to the Indian gentleman. 
Are you a member of the family? Yes, ma'am. I'm her brother. All righty. Now, down that corridor, take the elevator to four, all the way down to the end. Ellie? Huh? Ellie May. Doctor? Clement? Clement, how did you... Who, who let you... Hush now, honey. Hush. It's all right. I'm here now, and that's all you've got to know. But, but my husband... Honey, there's just no stopping a determined Texan. I told him I was your brother. Clem, what if he comes? I don't care, honey. I'm tired of playing cat and mouse, and I tell you just like I'm going to tell him when I do see him. The minute they let you out of this place, you are coming with me. <laughs> honey. What? Honey, what, what's the matter? What's your trouble? <laughs> don't know where's it hurt you. Well, your poor little hands are freezing your feet. <laughs> Look, that's my feet. Well, honey, what is it? What's the matter? Didn't Holly touch the sheet? I don't know. Clem, I'm scared. I'm afraid I'm going to lose the baby. I don't know what to do. What, what, what do they say it is? Did they tell you? By golly, I'll go and ask that doctor if he's keeping something from you. Convulsions. The doctor says it's got to do with my having this baby. Convulsions? Well, there's got to be injections against something like that. Darling, what you going to do? I didn't do anything, Clem. It just... It just came. One minute I was fine, and then I got so sick, and I had these convulsions. Clem, honey, hold me off or die. Oh, hush now, darling. I can't help it. I'm going to lose the baby. I'm going to die. I just know it. I can feel it. Well, darling, you've got the whole hospital taking good care of you. What can a hospital do about poisoning? I mean it, Clem. He poisoned me. Now, don't. Don't go talking like that, sweetheart. That's just plain sick talk. <sighs> Look, I got to skip now, but I'm not going back to Texas till I take you with me. You hear? Mr. Lalabasa, I've just seen your wife. How is she tonight? Not so well. I'm glad I caught you. I wouldn't suggest a visit tonight. But, Doctor... She's had another convulsive attack. And the remarked aposthenitic symptoms. I beg your pardon. Uh, true, I am a research chemist, but physiological terminology is out of my line. Opis it's a term that describes characteristic convulsions in toxic pregnancy. The body rests on the heels and head. The back is arched. Uh, is there anything I can do? As a matter of fact, there is. I want to put her on calcium immediately, calcium chloride and elixir of lactopeptin. These cases of eclamptic toxemia in the latter months of pregnancy are thought to be due to a deficiency of calcium. And what is it you wanted me to do, doctor? Well, the hospital pharmacy is closed. It'd be a matter of picking up the order from outside. I've already called for it. Would you? The nurse will administer it, of course. Of course. The pharmacist has a prescription. I might as well tell you, you have a very sick girl there, but we'll bring her around. That I can safely promise. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. I'm Mr. Hatfield to visit Mrs. Alabasa. Her brother, remember? The girl with a toxic pregnancy, the, the Indian's wife? That's right. I was in here yesterday. Uh, what's the matter? Something wrong, ma'am? You mean that this is the first you... He didn't tell you? Well, is she gone? You mean she's all better so soon? Mr. Hatfield, she passed away last night. Hey, Bun, 
bend an ear this way, will you? Now, I don't want this to get any further, but I know how you can get college credits while you're still in the service. No kidding. Maybe you've been playing around with the idea someday joining a college crowd, but you haven't had a chance to bone up on the stuff that'll give you enough credits. Well, that is what you think. I got news for you, chum. You got the chance right now without any trouble at all. Just give me a couple of more seconds, I'll tell you how. You heard of Yousafi? The United States Armed Forces Institute? Well, for two bucks, you can take what Yousafi calls a university extension course, and that is no lie. Well, all you got to do is put in an application, just shell out two bucks, and give with a little brain wake. So get smart, bud. Get with Yousafi. See you around. But I'm telling you, Mr. McCormick, practically the last thing she said was he's poisoning me. Just that way, just those words, he's poisoning me. Now, I suppose you want to know where I come in. Well, I mean, it's a motive. Mm, how do you make that out? Well, her husband knew we were in love. Because she told him when she asked for the divorce. How did she come to marry him in the first place? I don't know. It's just one of those things. She come up from Tennessee to Columbia to study chemistry, and he come over from India, and I, I guess he just plain fascinated her right off her feet, and they got married. He's on some kind of research fellowship. Mm. And how did you meet her? I met her on a plane. I was coming up from Texas, and... She was come back from Tennessee. We got talking and got to meeting, got to walking. That was about the story, but he knew about that because we told him. I see. And you think that's motive enough for murder? Mr. McCormick, I'm only asking you to look into well, I'm afraid I'd need a little more than suspicions. With all due respect, Mr. Hatfield, I imagine you both felt a little guilty about your, well, meetings. Yes, sir. Guilty, that's true. Well, I never do things but open and above board. That's why I made her take me to see him and tell him right out. But Ellie May and I, we belong together more right than him and I ever did. Has it occurred to you that Mrs. Lalabasa might have projected her guilt feelings on her husband and made up a fantasy about his guilt to salve her own? Look here, Mr. McCoy, I don't, I don't understand this here psychological talk. I only know what Ellie May said to me. Well, people are always suspecting they're being poisoned. And how many check out? Very, very few. You see... Poisoning is a rare psychopathic type of crime, frequently charged, rarely encountered. Mr. McCormick, how many times do you get one where the man is a research chemist? How many times do you get one where the man is the last one had his hands on the medicine itself? What's that? I thought she was in the hospital. Yeah, sure, but I did some checking. I found out Ellie May's husband fetched her, her last medicine from a drugstore. The hospital pharmacy was closed for the night, and he ran the errand for the doctor. <laughs> Special Bureau, McCormick. Ed, Tom Russo. On the diagnosis and death certificates, Mrs. Lalabaza. Uh-huh. I'm over at the hospital now. She came in as an eclamptic toxemia. That's toxic pregnancy. And that's how she was buried. You talked to the doctor? Uh-huh. I've got the whole history. Symptoms... Well, tell me when you come in. How'd you make out on the medicine Hatfield mentioned? Dead end, Ed. The nurse administered the stuff. Calcium chloride and... Wait a minute. And... And lactopeptum elixir. Uh-huh. Go on. Routine's got that alley closed. The nurse destroyed the bottle and contents. No reason to keep it around. Standard procedure, she claims. Yeah, yeah. All right, Tom. Come in and I'll have the medical examiner go over those symptoms. 
Now, look, Ed, let me save you some trouble. Your trismus, tonic closing of the lower jaw, these various spasms, the cyanosis, the rhesus sardonicus. Oh, wait a minute. Take it easy, doctor. Uh, sorry, the sardonic grin and the anxiety between spasms, the, uh, the premonitions of calamity. He's poisoning me, she that, said. That's right. That's right, Tom. Now, all, all of those indications are as characteristic of toxic pregnancy as they are of strychnine poisoning. Well, then... There's only one way to find out. I might as well stop beating around the bush. I, you, can, you can push symptoms around on paper till you're blue in the face. But if you want to prove your corpus delicti for an indictment, you'll need a... a... toxicological report on the organ. Right. Dig her up. Get Lalabas's consent to exhume and examine, and you're on solid ground. That's your final answer, Mr. Lalabasa? That is my final answer. All right. If you won't consent... You will let my poor wife rest in peace. I will apply to the Supreme Court for an order granting a permit for exhumation, and I'll get it. I understand you're planning to leave for India. Within a month? Well, don't. Until the report is in. Morning, Ed. What's new? Toxicologist report on Mrs. Lalabasa. Come on, come on. Never mind the suspenseful pauses. Strychnine. Ouch. What's your case now? I'll check them off as I go. One, was the medicine the source of the poison? We'll never know. Two... Did she poison herself? We'll never know. Did someone else in the ward give her poison by accident? Nurse, orderlies, they all had access. Then the pharmacy, did it make an error? A lot of useful medicines contain strychnine. Now, how about Hatfield? Did he introduce the poison? He could be putting on an act, you know. You tell me. Did Lalabasa do it? He had motive, but... Here it comes. I'm not going to start a case I can't finish, Tom. If Lalabasa sits tight, how can I prove that he gave her that poison? Yeah. I need proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Tell you something else. One move I make that's wrong, and Lalabasa, that... Brilliant foreign student on a big research foundation grant. Lalabasa would be defended by lawyers retained by the Indian Embassy, the foundation, the academic community, and bingo. There's the special bureau in the papers with international repercussions all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Proof you need. Proof. Beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm -hmm. Well, Hatfield's coming in later. I'll see what he knows about Mrs. Lalabasa. Meanwhile, no visitors, Tom. I've got a lot of reading to do. Uh, what's all that? Well, you remember what the medical examiner said about poisoning cases only about one or two a year? Yeah. I've got them all the way back to 1897, and he's right. They're hard to prove. As a matter of fact, this will be my first, and I hope it's the last. You say you met in her car. That's right. We drive out to their summer place on the island. Now, wait a minute. Car, summer place, six-room apartment, plane travel home? Yeah, I know. I know what you're driving at. Where'd the money come from, right? Knowing what I know about research fellows, especially foreign students, right. Unless he was a prince or something. Oh, no. That was all Ellie Mully's mother. Oh. Ellie was rich when he met her? No, sir. Well, they got engaged and her mother died sometime in around there when they were visiting. At least before they got married. Now, what was the name of that place again? Stokes Corner. Back in the hills of Tennessee. Tom? Practically on my way. 
Uh, give me a call from Tennessee. Uh, Mr. Hatfield, uh, that name was... Codri. Mrs. Cora. But Cora Codri, the one whose daughter married the man from India. That you ought to find her. You got it, Tom. Right. Bye. In just a moment, we shall return to indictment. Are you one of these people who will stroll through heavily wooded country, light a cigarette, and casually toss the match away without bothering to see whether it's out? I hope not. Would you toss away a cigarette butt in a forested area without bothering to stamp it out? I hope not, for your sake as well as mine. All of us depend on the forest for many things. The wood that builds our houses and furniture. The watersheds, so vital to us all. And of course, the very pleasure that draws us to the forest as soon as spring makes its presence known. They're all good reasons why our timberland must be protected against fire. The overwhelming majority of forest fires are caused by human carelessness. The losses in property, human lives, and wildlife are incalculable. Since 90% of all forest fires don't have to happen, why let them happen? Enjoy the countryside, but please make every effort not to destroy it by careless handling of fire. Special Bureau, McCormick. Ed, Tom Russo. Yeah, Tom, what did you find in the hills? Something. You better come down here first plane. I found Ellie May's mother. Now, yeah, what's the story? Tetanus. The mother died in convulsions. You're sure it was tetanus, Doctor? Oh, yes. Get a lot of it down here compared to town and city. Silas comes out of soil contaminated by horse manure. Tetanus it was. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you remember the case? Why, yes, yes, I remember them all, remember them all. They're the classic symptoms. No spasms, terrible spasms draw the body up like a bowstring. Apistotonus. That's the word, boy, from the Greek, you know. Opistos, that's backwards, and tonos, that's stretched. Stretch backward. Uh-huh. All characteristic of tetanus. That's right. And also of strychnine poisoning. Well, yes, yes, that's, that's true, but you don't get that in the hills here. Well, what do you do for it? Well, she's pretty far gone. Gave the poor soul a jolt of serum by lumbar puncture. But she went. Uh, what's all this about strychnine poisoning? I was just wondering. Now, who do a thing like that? It was Ellie May down here with her every minute. That Indian she was going to marry. Well, you'd have thought he was her own son, the way he tended Cora Codry. You don't believe me? Go on up to the house. Talk to old Sarah. Now, just a minute. Who's old Sarah? That's the housekeeper, Mr. McCormick. Have you talked to her yet? No, sir. Not yet. Let's. Just one thing more, Doctor. Could you run tests for strychnine? Yes. Could do that. Yes, I, I could test for strychnine. If you had something to test. Yes, sir, folks talked about him being Indian and dark, but loving, tender care, or you never saw the like. Oh, what did he do? Why, he couldn't stand seeing her suffer like that, and he went into his doctor bag and he come up with medicine. He said they never had none like it at the drugstores even, much less our little old clinic. He, uh, he gave her this medicine? The pill, liquid, what was it, Sarah? It, it was liquid. Uh, go on. Matter of fact, he gave it to her before she come down with a lockjaw. 
She was feeling poorly, and he said it'd be good for what ailed her. Fixed her up fine, too, and around, up and around, and then that night, she took the lockjaw. How'd she get the lockjaw? Just a scrape on the ankle. You know, an old rusty wagon tongue, just a little scrape. And it was that night he gave her the medicine again so she wouldn't suffer in her joints. And I tell you, if I ever come down with a misery, why, that rare stuff out of the doctor bag, I'm going to take a good dose. Well, you get it. Do you know what it was? No, sir. I don't know what it was, and I don't know what it is, but I still got it. And I aim to use it. I'm just as bad as the Caudrees, you know, the way they got their money. I don't throw nothing away. Nothing. All right. Nitro sulfuric acid. You ought to turn light orange. You'll see. It's a delicate test. Oh. Oh. Yeah, you are. Pretty light, but she's increasing intensity. Hmm. Water next. Here she comes, light pink orange. Mm, let it set a while now. Mm. No precipitate. Clear and pink orange. Um, hold that cloth over your nose, Mr. McCormick. This is concentrated ammonia. All right. Hmm. Clear as gin. Strychnine. Alabasa, you finished with that report? Yes. It shows that my wife died of strychnine poisoning. I am shocked. You should be. You poisoned her. How? With that dose of calcium chloride you got from the pharmacy. How can you prove that? It might have been a mistake made by the pharmacy. I really do not think you can prove anything but a possible accident. I loved my wife. I can prove that your wife's mother died of the same type of poison. I see. Are you prepared to base your defense on two mistakes? My defense? To an indictment for murder in the first degree. Or would you rather make a clean breast of the story now? A confession. Shall I call a secretary? Let me think. Let me tell you what you did. When your mother-in-law got that scratch on her leg, you gave her a mixture of strychnine, using that old housekeeper as a tool. Your expectation was that her death would be taken as caused by tetanus, lockjaw, which the symptoms imitate. Did I? And knowing your wife was having a difficult pregnancy, you did the same. One small dose to send her to the hospital with symptoms of toxic pregnancy, in convulsions, and a second fatal dose, using the nurse that time as the tool to kill her. Very interesting. Very interesting, but mere coincidence. I am prepared to indict you and convict you and send you to the electric chair on that coincidence. And I mean it, Lalabasa. You have no case. I have studied your jurisprudence, and you have only a circumstantial and a suppositiously circumstantial case of that. Lalabasa, I have two cases. I do not understand. You have no case in New York. 
My mother-in-law died in Tennessee. What else will you try me for? Being a foreigner in an American court? No. I'll only try you for the murder of your wife by poison. My other case is called People Against Molyneux. And what has that to do with me? You can only prove one case at a time. It's a leading New York case which laid down the rule to allow the introduction in a case like this of prior episodes of poisoning to prove the guilt of the pending charge. It is designed to overcome any possible defense of accident or mistake or coincidence. And in your mother-in-law's case where the family money was first at stake, the old housekeeper saved the bottle of poison. It'll be People's Exhibit 1 at the trial. I am... Under arrest? Yes. May I... May I call my embassy? I think you'd better. The story you just heard was drawn from New York City and based on stories of the criminal law as detailed by Eliezer Lipsky, former assistant district attorney. The names of all persons and places were changed. Indictment is written by Alan Sloan, produced by Nathan Kroll and directed by David Hebb. Nat Poland is featured as Edward McCormick. Jack Arthur is Tom Russo. Also in the cast were Marjorie Gateson, Elizabeth Lawrence, Bernard Grant, George Petrie, Guy Rep, and Mason Adams. Listen next week at the same time for another indictment. Indictment has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
Welcome back. All right, an interesting case. I liked how they showed that poisoning was not a particularly common means of committing murder and how McCormick really needed to do a lot of research before he was really even able to proceed. And of course, we got to hear McCormick's typical skepticism when the case was initially brought to him. And this is typical of the series. McCormick tends to be skeptical at the outset because he is really thinking about how am I going to secure an indictment and how am I going to sell this to a jury? Which I think are solid questions to ask. The one thing that does seem a little weird about this case is that the killer in order to commit the murder the way he did, really had to get the dumb luck of the hospital sending him to the pharmacy. It seems to me that trying to slip the poison to her in the hospital some other way would have been a big risk with all of the medical supervision. Also, I think that uh, Indictment did a good job having an actor do a Texas accent. I think that they were pressing their luck with trying to get actors to do Texas and Tennessee accents because some of those uh, southern accents were just a bit off. And it was also weird. I, I kind of got thrown off for a second hearing Sheldon... Leonard in the commercial, until I remembered that this was an armed forces radio uh, and television service a transcription. Because Sheldon Leonard had been known for his work on Hollywood-related uh, old-time radio, not New York. But in this case, it was just the PSA was recorded in Hollywood. Kind of a weird reading, too, because... He was doing it in his whole, I've got a really shady deal sort of presentation. I don't know how many times I've heard him as an actor deliver those sort of lines in a program and it turn out he's a con man or he's lying. It's a weird choice. It's like, okay, uh, Sheldon, we want you to do this ad for our new program, but we want you to do it in a way that sounds like you're trying to sell an underhanded shady con. Go ahead. Just just go ahead. I'm sure that'll get people to trust our program. But overall, I thought it was a solid episode, and I really uh, enjoy this series, and this is another one that I wish there were more of, and who knows, maybe someday there will be more, but we do at least have one more week to go. Listener comments and feedback now. And we go to Instagram where Chelsea writes, Hey, I want to know what you look like. I tried to find images of you and I wasn't successful. Also, keep up the good work. Well, thank you so much, Chelsea. If you are curious what I look like, you can go to uh, the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio homepage at greatdetectives.net and click the About tab at the top. Thanks so much for the question, and now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Nolan. Nolan has been one of our Patreon supporters since April 2018, currently supporting the show at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Nolan. 
And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. All those great things help to make the channel grow, as well as leaving comments. We'll be back next Saturday with another episode of Indictment. But join us back here tomorrow for our 4,150th episode special where... Post office, this is Jordan. Jordan, that postmaster, Jordan. That's right. What can I do for you? Plenty. You got a bomb someplace in the mail down there. Is this a joke? Listen carefully. This is no joke. A guy I know sent another guy a bomb, a time bomb. It'll be delivered here in town. It was supposed to be set to go off at 7 tonight, but it ain't. He forgot to change the timer before he shipped it. It's set for 2.30 this afternoon, five hours from now. I don't like that. Maybe some poor guy like a mailman will get it instead of the guy who's supposed to. That's why I'm telling you about it. You gotta find it and stop it. And one other thing, too. It's fixed so it'll go off when you open the package. You got all that? Sure, I, I got it. But how do I recognize this bomb? Who's it addressed to? I ain't telling who sent it. I don't care about who sent it. Who gets it? Who gets the bomb? Hello? Hello? I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash GreatDetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.